Brother Don, he's also in the bus ministry. <clears throat> he drives, but if you had to put up with all those kids, you'd be screaming at the top of your lungs, too. So that's what happens when you're in the bus ministry. You leave it all on the field. And unfortunately, behind the pulpit, it makes it tough sometimes when you're singing specials. Well, anyway, again, Brother Males, you come and preach for us. We're excited to hear from you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. All right. Um, if you can, um, if you're able, if you want to stand with me for the reading of the Word of God, and um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, and um, I'm going to read, I'm going to actually preach out of the first eight verses, but I want to read this, this evening from verse 6 on, and then we'll, we'll figure out... Um, You'll see why I'm going to use those scriptures, but I want, to, I want to get for the introduction and what we're going to get into tonight. It pretty much is from verse 6 on. And so notice with me, Jesus Christ has been with uh, his church, started his church and his earthly ministry, and now he's been with them 40 days after his resurrection, and he's getting ready to ascend, and he's giving them, I would say it this way, last minute focus. 
because he's not teaching them anything new. Everything he says in these verses up to verse number 8, everything he says, he's already taught them. But he's refocusing them. But it comes down to verse 6, and the Bible says this, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Maybe that's what's on our mind recently. Amen? The coming of the Lord. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, it's, and listen, I, you're not, I'm not going to in any way, in any way, reveal or try to, I don't want you to take away from this that I think it's wrong to study and preach about the coming of the Lord. But what they do here is not what we're supposed to do. And here's what he says to them. He said, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons, verse 7, which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day, day's journey. Let's have a word of prayer. Now let you be seated. Father, I pray this evening, and Lord, I, I bow before you today, and I ask you, Father, to once again, Lord, the privilege that has been granted to me to preach in your pulpit, Lord, but in particular, this pastor, Lord, who's the overseer of this ministry, this church. And Lord, he has trusted me with this pulpit. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit of God would speak through me, and I know he will speak through his word tonight, Lord. And I know that your spirit, Lord, that your word as it goes forth, it's not going to come back vain or void. I know it's going to accomplish something. Lord, give me power tonight to preach. Lead me by your spirit. Help me to not say things that the flesh would want to say or maybe I would want to say, but Lord, it's not your will. Help me to preach your word your way. And Lord, if there's one here tonight that is not saved, they're not born again, I pray the Holy Ghost, Lord, would convict their heart and show them their need of Christ as Lord and Savior. Show them their sin before holy God and show them, Lord, that Christ is the only way. Lord, I pray for the child of God as we're in these last days. And Lord, as things are changing in our world, help us, Lord, to get our focus back on what you want. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want to preach a message to you tonight. Let's get our focus back on what Jesus wants, amen? There's nothing wrong, and I don't know if you remember this, but these apostles are Jews, and sometimes I think when I first read this as a young man, saved at 13, began to study the Word of God very quickly, and as I would study the Bible, and I remember years ago, I don't remember the exact year when I first came across this, and I thought, you know, why are they so concerned about the kingdom? I mean, he just told them what they're going to do. He told them the, what we call the Great Commission. He told them that they as a church, they would be empowered by the Spirit of God. But before we get too hard on them, remember, they're Jews, Amen. And the prophetic calendar in Isaiah 53 has been fulfilled now. They have trusted in the Messiah. They know that he's the suffering Messiah. They know that it was it prophesied that he would die a cruel death on the cross, that he would be buried, and that he would raise again. So now, naturally to them, the next thing on their agenda is Jews, and as Old Testament, amen, believers, they believe, when is the kingdom coming? And there's nothing wrong with that. I look forward to the millennial kingdom of Christ, amen, and I hope you look forward to the millennial kingdom of Christ. But the problem here is this, Jesus, in the verses we'll see in a moment as we preach through them, Jesus tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. He didn't say go to Jerusalem and just sit there the rest of your, the days on the earth waiting for my return. He said, go there and wait for the promise of the Father, and when the Holy Spirit of God, 
When you are baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God has empowered the New Testament church and every believer is indwelt from that point on, he says you're going to have a ministry to do. And I believe that we, if we're not careful in these last days, it's easy for us with mandates and COVID and all this stuff going on. Our government seems to be trying to erode our freedoms, not just ours, but around the world. I know in Scotland it's been very hard. In Canada, when they first came out with this mess and this, this, this joke, amen, and they came out with their mandates, we were under a $2,000 per person fine if we got caught meeting. I preached over in Eastern Europe, in Russia, in communist countries, and I've been preaching in places where if we would have been caught, we would have went to jail. So I know what that's like, and that's what it felt like. We were meeting in our apartment. We were still meeting as a church and taking our chances. We weren't worried about it because we know the Lord said we were to meet. Amen? And so as we met, I, I, the world's changing. And I'm telling you, you either... As an ostrich, put your head in the sand and say, well, I don't care. I don't believe it. It can't get that. Friend, our days, listen, we as Western Christians, our day of no sacrifice for service is coming to an end. It is coming to an end. And if we are not focused on what I'm going to show you tonight, not because I found it, it's here in the book. It's not new by me. If we don't get refocused back on what Christ focused his church on before he ascends. If we don't understand these things, we're not going to make it through persecution. We're not going to make it through maybe martyrdom. We're not going to make it through trials of our faith. When If you think the governments of this world are going to lay off trying to take away our liberty, then you're dreaming, amen? And so we need to get focused back on what Christ... And by the way, right after the day of Pentecost, not long after that persecution begins and the whole rest of the book of Acts, people are in jail, people are martyred, it's a mess. But God is with them. And so I want to talk to you tonight about let's get our focus back on what Christ wants. You say, well, where is that, preacher? Well, we're going to look at the first few verses. Number one, let's look at the first thought. One and two, verses one and two. Look what the Bible says here. The former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And one good truth that we could think of when we read that verse is, Paul says, as we will see tonight, that whatever God begins, he finishes. Amen? And so that's a blessing. But look what he says in verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given, what's that word? Commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. The word commandments here, it simply means it's the idea to order or to command something to be done by enjoining. The word enjoin means to instruct or urge. In other words, when my dad used to tell me something as my authority, my dad was in the Marine Corps and we were taught a thing called the chain of command. Amen? And when my dad used to tell me, son, when I get home today after work, I'm telling you, I want that grass cut, no football playing, and that's, that was my life, amen. No football playing. I want that grass cut. That wasn't a suggestion. That wasn't a good idea. That was a command, amen. And so Jesus here gives commands. And someone for someone to give commands, they have to have authority. Have you ever started a job working somewhere in the secular world, maybe even in ministry, amen, and you find that there's always some person that always is going to come and they're going to tell you, hey, don't do this, do this, we do it this way, and you finally, you go to a co-worker and you say, hey, I don't understand, is this guy like a manager or something? Is he a high up official? And somebody will say, no, he's a pipsqueak like we are, amen? He's a beginner. And then after you understand that he has no authority, his commandments, his truth, or his, his, his urging, his enjoining of commandments goes in this ear and goes out the next. Friend, I'm not going to talk about authority in general. I'm going to talk about we need to get our focus back on the authority of Jesus Christ. He is our authority. Amen? And it's time we realize that because the government, and I know I've heard it, I've heard them debate it, and it's usually in a nice cowardly fashion, amen, that Paul said we're to obey those that are in authority. Well, let me tell you something, friend. We are to obey the governing laws of the land as far as they do not infringe or try to get us 
to not obey this book, amen? Notice with me in Mark chapter 1 what the religious crowd said about Jesus. The Bible says in verse 22, and they were astonished at his doctrine. That's teaching, amen? They were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Listen, Jesus Christ is our authority. First of all, think about it. He is our authority. He is the authority of the New Testament church. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 says, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head of over all things to the church. Amen. Jesus Christ is the head of the New Testament church. The word head means supreme Lord or master. It's funny to me how many times we use this this word servant in the New Testament. And we always want to have the the connotation or give the idea to people. We want them to think that, hey, I want to be a servant of Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. That's a noble thing. The problem is, is that the word servant, when you look it up in the New Testament and study the word, it always means slave. It's a slave. Now, slavery, as we knew in not just America, but in this world, and that's a big topic today, In slavery in this world, the Bible calls that kind of slavery where you go and you capture people against their will and make them slave. That's men stealers. And the Bible says we shouldn't be that. We shouldn't do that. Slavery here is what we call a bondservant. It's the idea of a servant that has a debt. He can't pay his debt. In the 21st century, if you can't pay your bills, you file bankruptcy, and it's all done. In most of history, the history of man, if you couldn't pay your debt, then you had to go and work off your debt. You weren't a slave for life. You weren't a servant for life. But you had to be a servant until you worked off your debt. The Bible never teaches that you and I have to work off salvation. We are saved, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, by grace, through faith, it is the gift of God. But after we're saved, Paul says in Romans 7 and 8, that we have been set free from the bondage of the flesh, the devil, amen. We are now free, but our freedom is not to do what we want, but our freedom is to do what Christ wants. He is our head, amen. So notice with me, he's the head of the church. This is not Mark O'Donnell's church. Every church I've started is not Jim Mayles' church. This is the Lord's church, if it's a New Testament church, and he is the head of it. He is the authority. Not only that, but think about the child of God. Go with me to Hebrews, if you will, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Before we move on in just a moment, Hebrews chapter 12. You remember verse 1? Seeing we are also compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. When you got saved and I got saved, we were set free from bondage. What? For what purpose? That now we have the ability to set those besetting sins, as we call it, aside. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. But look at verse 2. Looking. Get rid of the weights. Get rid of the sin that holds us back. Why? Looking unto Jesus, what? The author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Listen, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that the new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. Do you understand? And I don't know what preacher believes, and he can correct when I'm gone if he disagrees, but I've heard Baptist preachers, we say we believe the Bible literally. And then we get to 1 John, and the Bible says, whosoever is born of God doth not sin. You know what I believe that's talking about? Read the book of 1 John. He's talking about his seed remains in us. There is something that was born in us, created in us, the new nature that does not sin. You say, why do we sin then? Because Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that the inward man, the old man, I find that that battle that goes on between the old man and the new man, Paul says, hey, the things that I hate, sin in me, I hate it. But he said, I find I do it sometimes. But that which I would do for the Lord, he said, I find I don't do. That's that battle that's going to go on till the day we see the Lord. But understand, that new man that's in you, if you're saved today, there is something in you. John gives all those 
testimonies of a desire for the Word of God. The Spirit of God itself bears witness with the new man that we are the children of God. And understand, my friend, that that nature was created of God. And if it is created of God, then your new life in Christ, He is your authority. He's your authority. He's the authority of all of His creation. Philippians chapter 2, if you'll look there with me. Philippians chapter 2. Now, you're going to say amen to this, but I want you to remember that amen when things start getting rough, because I'm going to show you why. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. The Bible says, of course, in Colossians 1, that all things were created by Him. Thrones, dominions, principalities, everything. There is no king, there is no president that is in a White House or sitting on a throne or sitting in a parliament or sitting as prime minister that is not put there by Almighty God. If you don't like that, you don't like Joe Biden, that's fine. But go, go argue with God, amen? That's what he says. He raises up kings. He told Pharaoh, I raise you up for my purpose, amen? He raises up kings and he sets them down. Here's why we should pray for our leaders. Because even if they are not godly, God is still in control. Look what he says here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, remember the scripture? Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You need to understand the authority of Christ over his creation. Why? Because, friend, not only is he the authority of his church and the authority of the new man, the new nature, the child of God, but he is the authority of all. All creation is going to bow before him. All creation is going to give the testimony that he is Lord, that he is King of Kings. You say, what does that have to do for me in everyday life? Friend, listen, no matter who is in authority, no matter who is in power, no matter if they ban us from meeting, no matter if they haul us off to the jails, no matter if we, like Paul and Silas, are in the middle of jail, amen, we can sing unto the Lord. Why? Because he is our authority, Jesus Christ. He is authority. Joe Biden's not going to do anything that God doesn't want done. I promise you that. This world is leading for one thing. I've been studying Revelation, again, just for personal time. And I'm telling you, friend, this world, Russia and Syria right now, it's leading to Ezekiel 38. It's leading when God is going to dry up the river Euphrates and allow the armies of the east to come marching into Israel. And the Bible says, for the supper of the great God, when the birds will eat their flesh as God's enemies are destroyed. Listen, God is authority. He is our authority. And we need to get our focus back on that. When you know who your authority is, you will have no problem. You will not sway in which direction you'll go. Number two with me tonight as we move on quickly. Notice with me back in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. I want to, sh or verses 3, I'm sorry. Can I get a little excited tonight? I know, I know, you know, we're northerners, right? And we're supposed to be dead, but you know, you actually seem a little bit alive. You know, you know why nobody, nobody in their right mind would judge Ohio as a northern state? Because if you burn the bridges to Kentucky and West Virginia, you wouldn't have an Ohio, amen? My dad's from Logan County, West Virginia. I won't get derailed, and we won't take away from the word tonight. But I'm telling you, man, go down to Logan County. Those people, if they're Yankees, I'd like to see what a southerner is, amen? <laughs> Let's go to verse 3. The Bible says, to whom also he showed himself. So we need to get our focus back on the authority of Christ. Second of all, we need to get our focus back on, and hear me out, and you'll understand this as we go on. We need to get our focus back on the authenticity of Christ. He's authentic. You know what the word authenticity comes from the word um, authentic. And you know what it means? It, authentic means worthy of acceptance or belief as conforming to or based on fact. Now look what he says here. The Bible says to him, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, after his resurrection, 40 days he showed himself by many, what's that word? Infallible proofs. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Why is it that we as Baptists, why is it that we as, and I listen, I was raised a Catholic. We found out 10 years ago that my mother's family didn't know her dad, didn't know anything about her background. Found out my mother's family is all Jews on her side. 
My dad's family has black African slave mixed with Cherokee Indian and also in the name Jewish. Now look at me for a minute. I'm telling you something. Why is it that we as independent Baptists, you say, why would you tell us that? I was raised a Roman Catholic and praise God I got saved. A Jew that found out our family was forced in Eastern Europe to be Catholics or they would lose everything. And then I get saved being a Catholic, kind of half-hearted. Mom was a Catholic. Dad was away from God. And we, 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 why am I a Baptist today? I'm a Baptist because I still believe that every church traces its roots except for one back to the Catholic church, which was never the church of God. So I'm a Baptist. Why are we as Baptists so shy about what we believe? Why do we whisper? about our beliefs? Why are we afraid to talk about what we believe? Why do we think that we have to excuse God? Why do we do that? Because we forget that the Muslims that I have witnessed to in Europe and had many friends who are not ashamed of their, 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 their falsity, of the Buddhists and of the, 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 the Christian, Christianity, the umbrella of it, and all those things under it that are not preaching Christ. They're ordaining homosexuals. They're doing everything contrary to the Word of God. And yet we're so afraid to stand up for the truth. You know why? Because we don't believe in the authenticity of Christ. When you have the real thing, you don't have to be ashamed of it. When you have the real thing, it'll change your life. Well, I'm not here tonight to preach to an independent Baptist church with a good pastor that preaches the word and prove to you he's authentic. Friend, he is. Amen. But I want to show you what authenticity does. When you grab hold of the authenticity of Christ. You know why I left Scotland? Because the Lord said so. You know why I started churches in Canada as well? Because the Lord said so. You know why I'm going down to southern Ohio? Because the Lord said so. And I found that the Holy Ghost that indwells me and leads me through the Word of God, He is authentic. I found that this Jesus that saved me at 13 and I'm 55 now, He is authentic. And when you grab hold of His authenticity, why is it that in Canada we hear about, and I've been asked many times, what about the preachers that went to jail? It's sad to say they were, that all the preachers that went to jail and made a stand, not one of them was an independent Baptist. They were the ones we make fun of, the new evangelicals. Now let me tell you, I'm not going to become a new evangelical, and I'm not going to become some kind of Bible Christian church. I'm a Baptist. But it's time we grab hold of the authenticity of Christ. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 this, and then you go to Acts. Go over to Acts chapter 4, and we'll preach there for a few moments, and then we'll move on tonight and finish. But go to Acts chapter 4. By the way, I love your music program. Thank you for that. You actually say praise God in dwelling in Beulah land. I, man, I'm telling you, we've let the charismatic scare us right out of the Holy Spirit, right? It's like we're so afraid to, man, if somebody raised a hand and said praise God, somebody would have a fit thinking that they're charismatic. They, they didn't invent that, people. We did. We got it from the Bible, amen? We can actually, we can talk about the, somebody asked me one time, Brother Mark, I was preaching, why do you say Holy Ghost? Because it's in the Bible. What do you mean why I say holy? Well, the charismatics use that terminology. They didn't, listen, if they invented it and it was unscriptural, let me ask you a question. Why do you call me a missionary? Where's that at in the Bible? I see evangelist, but I don't see missionary. So you want to talk about terms that are not in the Bible. I mean, let's get real. Now let's look and see some. Here's what authenticity produces in our life. I, this excites me. You stay in Acts, but... First thing it produces is when you really get a hold of the truth of the authenticity of Christ. He is the real, genuine article. It produces, first of all, confidence. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, he says this, and I'm not going to try to quote it for you because we're going to go on Acts, but you remember the story. He's telling the church at, at, at Philippi, he says this, I'm confident, I'm confident, I have a confidence that he which has begun a good work in you he will perform it. He will do it. It kind of goes along with what Paul says also. I know in whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able. Amen? He's confident. When you have authenticity, 
When you have something that is a real deal, you get confidence in his authenticity. Not only that, but look in Acts chapter 4. You get another thing. What about boldness, amen? Acts chapter 4, verse 12. We live in a woke culture, they call it. Where did that word come from? It had to be a millennial thing, amen? Where did woke come from? Woke culture. Woke culture. Let me tell you what, that culture is not new. It's this culture. You can believe in anything as long as you don't stand for anything. That's what it is, amen? You can believe anything you want as long as you're not dogmatic about anything. Well, friend, I got to tell you, I'm dogmatic because this book is. Here's what he says. Neither is there salvation in any other, verse 12. Remember this verse? For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When, when, when Larry King asked Joel Osteen, when Larry King asked Billy Graham, when Larry King asked Billy Graham, so you're telling me that if a Jew, because Larry King is a Jew by blood, he is an atheistic, agnostic Jew. He said, you're telling me that if a person doesn't believe, he knew the gospel better than a lot of preachers. And he said, you're telling me that if, if, a, if a Jew doesn't receive Christ as Messiah, Lord and Savior, the, the resurrected Savior in repentance, he used the word repentance. He said, you're telling me they'll go to hell. You know what Joel Osteen said? That's not for me. To, it's not my ministry to judge. You know, Billy Graham said, well, I can't. Listen, I believe that people from all different religions are going to be in heaven. And he said, you mean they're going to get saved? Joel, Larry King, the Jew, said, you believe they're going to get saved? He said, no, no, no. He said, what I believe is, is that it's, it's called fatalism, amen. He said, I believe that they will be in heaven and they will not even know that they're God's child, but they'll be there. What kind of stuff is that? Here's what God says. There's only one name given under heaven. I'll tell you right now, ask me. Go ahead and ask me. If a Muslim never comes to Christ in repentance of faith, will they go to hell? Yes. If a Baptist sitting in a Baptist church pew that is not saved by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, if they don't come to repentance and faith, will they die and go to hell? Yes. Here's what he says. Now, when they saw, verse 13, the boldness of Peter and John, See that boldness? How do you take Peter and John? Let's talk about them for one minute. Just a minute. Peter and John. We make heroes out of men. God never intended Peter to be saint. He's a saint, but he never intended him to be hero Peter. God never intended Paul to be put on a pedestal. Paul did not float around and levitate from place to place. They were men of like passion, as Paul told you. Here's what Peter does. Peter denies my Lord, just like I would do in the same situation. Peter denies my Lord three times before the cock crows. You know what John did? Read Revelation 19, and then I think it's 21 or 22, the last chapter of the 22. You know what John does? John's in heaven receiving the revelation. And as he's receiving the revelation, the angel of God which is, I believe, a fellow believer. He said, I am an angel. He said, I'm, a I'm an angel of the Lord. I'm a messenger of the Lord that has a testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm of your brethren. And here's what John does. He falls down ready to worship a man. You say, I would never do that. You don't have half the faith in Christ. I guarantee you that John had. You are not the Apostle Paul. And that doesn't mean they're, just, they're not men. They're just men. But I'm telling you, you, say, how do you know that, preacher? I'll tell you how. Because I don't know of many of us that are willing to resist on the blood through the power of the Spirit of God. But what takes those men from those situations and gets them to this, where the Bible says they look on Peter and John. You remember Peter and John at the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter had a great statement there. What a, what a wonderful statement Peter makes. Seeing the Christ... In, the, in, the, in his transfigured form, in his holiness. And man, things are going great. And here's Moses and Elijah. He's talking, Christ is talking to Moses and Elijah. And Peter decides he's going to, this is, you ever been to a Baptist meeting preacher? And man, the things are going well. And some preacher gets up and tells some dumb joke and kills the whole thing, amen? And Peter stands up and he says, he says, Lord, it's good for you that we're here. It's so good for you that we're here because now we can make an altar for Moses and Elijah and for you. You know what an altar is for? It's a place where you sacrifice and do worship to something. You know what happened immediately when he said that? 
A cloud fell from heaven. They couldn't see any of them. The cloud lifts, and only person standing is Christ. And the voice from heaven, the Father says, Hear, this is my beloved Son. Hear Him. So how do you get from that kind of people to boldness? And by the way, what a testimony to Peter and John. I don't want you to, I would not like it if you came up to me tonight and said, hey, man, I, that was a good message, man, but I, I have perceived that you are an ignorant and unlearned person, and you must have been with Christ. You must have spent time with the Lord today, because obviously looking at you, you couldn't do that, amen? That would be a great compliment. Understand there's boldness in authenticity. Authenticity produces loyalty. Look at Acts chapter 4 here, verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all their teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John, the same Peter who denied him, this same John who would, we stumble in our walk all the time, that would, would bow down, would bow down to an angel. He says, Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You know what you know, you know Peter and John are telling these men? We have seen the authentic Savior. Produces loyalty. Produces vision. Let me show you one more and then we'll finish. Acts chapter 7, if you will. Verse 54. I was telling preacher, my son bought me a uh, large print Bible, Brother Chris, because I, I, I can't see very well reading right? Well, I get up to preach. I'm all excited. I left these things at home the first time. I get up to preach, and I said, turn to verse 34, whatever it is. These verses are smaller than my previous Bible. And I'm like, why would you make a large print Bible with the verses? I guess they think I'm Jack Van Imp. I memorized the whole New Testament, amen? But look with me, if you will, at verse number 54 of Acts chapter 7. This is a powerful testimony of what not a man can do, but what God can do. Stephen, one of the deacons in Acts 6, and now he's preaching the word, and we'll just come down to the end. He says in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Have you ever had anybody gnash on you with their teeth because you preached to them? I haven't. Do you know in Afghanistan they do things like that to Christians? Do you know that there is no such thing as fun Islamic extremism? That's like saying, you know what they call us? Justin Trudeau in Canada said when he became prime minister of Canada, he said this, the problem with Canada is fundamental extreme Christianity. Do you know what fundamental extremism really is? People that actually practice what they're taught. I'm an extremist. I believe this book. If you truly follow Islam, here's what it teaches. I've seen it. I've witnessed to them for many years. It teaches what the one little man from Libya told me as we became friends and we're driving down to Edinburgh in the car in Scotland. And he said to me, we believe in the same Jesus. And in the spirit of God, not in anger, in the spirit of God, I looked at him and I said, sir, we do not believe in the same Jesus. You believe in Jesus as a man and a prophet. I believe in him as God who became flesh. He snapped a, a, a lid and went crazy. I thought it's 70 miles an hour on the highway. He was going to try to kill me, amen? He went crazy. That is blaspheme. That is blaspheme. That is blaspheme. In my country, we would kill you. We would kill you. We would kill you. And I let him calm down, and I asked the, Spirit of, I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, please take control of this situation because this guy's going to get us killed. And I looked at him. I said, buddy, I'm 200, at that time, 220 pounds. You're about 100 nothing. And I said, I'm telling you, you're not going to physically do anything to me. And second of all, I said, I want you to think about this. In my country, in this country that you're allowed in, in Scotland, and in my country, America, you have freedom to preach what you want. We don't agree with it. I don't believe it. I believe what you teach is blaspheme as well. But we have the freedom to teach. You know what? He started listening to the word of God. And you know what, Brother Chris? He ended up going back, five of them from five different countries, living in a, in a hotel in the time when they were talking about terrorist cells. You're talking about weird. And you know what happened to him? He started witnessing to those guys, telling them what I was saying. I don't know if he ever got converted. But I found out within a month he was gone. They shipped him back to Libya. What are you saying that for, preacher? I'm saying this. Listen, I have never been in a situation 
where the preaching of the gospel on the street or in a pulpit has cost me such violence. But read what happens to Stephen, and we'll finish. He says, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. And ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And, wit and, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Can, can I ask you a question? Can I just be dead honest with you? I'm going to do it anyways, but can I ask you if you'll let me do that? If we honestly came under this kind of persecution, you know what we would do? This is what we would do in America. We would call up CLA, and we would demand our constitutional rights. But you know what's funny in this text? Between chapter 3 and 4, and then you get over to see, you know what they did back, Peter and John and the church? They went back to the New Testament church in Jerusalem. They told them, this is what happened. And you know what they said? Let's do this. Let's have a prayer meeting. And they got together, and you know what their prayer was? Lord, thank you for counting us worthy to suffer persecution for your namesake. But in America, see, in the Western world, we have rights. We have rights. You know what your rights are in the Lord? Your rights are you are to serve Almighty God. When Jesus said, when the hour comes and men take you to prison, when men put you in, 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 under persecution. He said, don't think what you're going to say. You know what some churches teach? They, they teach that that means preacher and I, we're not to study before we get up. That's not talking about a pastor in a pulpit. It's talking about when we have to give an account for our faith in Christ, the Spirit of God will give us what to say. How do you get to Stephen gnawed on insulted and beaten and at the verge of death saying, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. How do you get to that? Because of verse number, give me a second while I look with my glass, 55, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked steadfastly, and who did he see? Jesus Christ. He looked to the authentic Savior, and because of that, he had the power and strength to die for his Lord and not hold it against his persecutors. Let me say in closing this, I just, I'll show you the verse, because I would think that you know a little bit about the Holy Ghost here, amen? The Holy Spirit of God. But we need to get our focus back on his authority, Christ's authority. We need to get our focus back on, on the, 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 the authenticity of Christ. Let me say in closing, we need to get our focus back on the provision of the Lord. Verses 4 and 5 of Acts 1 says this, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And he goes on to say in verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Can I just say this without going another half an hour? Because we could on the Holy Spirit. But can I just say this? John 16, Jesus made it clear to his church what was going to happen when the Spirit of God came. Here's what he says. And when he has come, he, not you. Preacher told me the other day, Pastor, the most liberating thing that ever happened to him was the day he realized that results were not contingent on him, but the Spirit of God. Man, that is liberating. It's liberating. When you start churches, by the time they're running 30, 40, 50 people, you're turning them over. You know what? When you preach the gospel, people don't get saved every time you think they should. But you know what the Spirit of God does? When he comes into this world, and he is here, his ministry is now, he will reprove the world. The word reprove means to convict or convince. When I got saved at Detroit Avenue Baptist Church up in Cleveland at 13, we used to hear this phrase a lot, holy 
Ghost conviction. You know what it means? He will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, because they believe not. The word believe means to trust, to entrust, to commit to. It's like the man that walked the tightrope, and he asked the crowd, do you believe I can walk it? And some said yes, some said no. He walked it, came back. True story. And he looked at the crowd, he said, how many believe I can do it now? Everybody said yes. No, they, they accepted the fact that he could, but he looked at him and said, then who will jump on my back and go across with me? That's belief. You know, the only sin that cannot be forgiven is blaspheme of the Holy Ghost. And you know what I believe it is? The word blaspheme means to vilify. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon all men, and I believe it does, and they reject the truth of the Word of God, that the Spirit of God is reproving them, convincing them, if they reject Christ, there is no other way of salvation. There is no other way of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Jesus took his blood into the mercy seat not made with hands and shed his blood, took it into the mercy seat not made with hands and paid for our sin debt so that my righteousness, which is filthy rags, could be done away with and his righteousness could be applied to me. And of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. But you know what the good news about that judgment is? Revelation 20 you don't have to go there because Christ has made a way of escape. Christ died for us. Listen, the provision of the Holy Ghost is to reprove the world, to guide the saved, to protect the saved, and to comfort the saved. I'll leave you with this thought, this story. You know, they said when we were young at Maslin, right, and other preachers, you don't give a lot at personal illustrations because, you know, you're young, you have done nothing. That was humbling. But after 30 years of church planting, I've, I've done a few things. I've been around a little bit, amen? And I'll never forget this. When I went to Scotland, I found out that the European Union had labeled Scotland, Edinburgh, Scotland in particular, but all of Scotland, the occult capital of Europe. 80% of Scots are agnostic or atheistic. Witchcraft and spiritism is rampant. 60% of the people that got saved in the ministry over 14 years in Scotland, 18 total, 60% of the people that got saved were either ex-witches, and you are an ex-witch if you get saved, amen, or spiritist. Now, never forget going in the home of a woman and talking to her about the Lord, her and her husband. And as I was leaving the home, they heard the gospel. They came Four weeks later, four services later, they got saved, amen? But before I left that night, she grabs my, my coat and she said, could I ask you a question, preacher? I said, sure. And her husband wasn't real thrilled about it. He seemed like it was, he thought it would be awkward. And I said, it's okay, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll answer a question. You know, we have to be ready to give an answer, amen? And so I said, what is it? She says, my uncle goes, he lives in our home, he throws things everywhere. He never cleans up after himself. He bangs doors. He comes in and out of the, the house all hours of the night. She said, well, I don't, what do I do about this? And I said, well, man, I'm thinking in my brain, man, I thought this was a toughie, right? I was raised by a Marine. I know what you do. And boom, amen? <laughs> Ask him to leave. I said, ma'am, I said, honestly, Marion, I said, the best thing to do is, I said, you and Jim just tell him to leave your house. She said, oh, you don't understand. I'm so sorry. Thanks for leaving out this little tidbit. She said, my uncle's dead. I said, your uncle's dead. And then it made sense, brother. I said, your uncle's dead. I said, well, let me ask you a couple questions. I said, you involved in any kind of witchcraft, spiritism? She goes, well, actually, I have a gift of medium. I'm a medium. They're trading me right now, and I can contact the dead. They told me I have this gift. I said, ma'am, I said, people in this book either die and go to heaven or hell. I said, you're talking to spirits, but it's not dead people. I said, you've got, demonic, you've got a demonic spirit in this house, and you've invited it in. And she looked at me, and she said, what do I do? I said, well, let me ask you a couple questions. I said, when I came to this house tonight, before I came here to visit you, was your uncle here? She said, yes, he was here, and he was throwing a fit. I said, when I came to this door, what happened? She said, he left. 
And I said, I asked her that Sunday, did he come back? She said, right after you left, he came back. He said, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm going to tell you what I'm getting at because I didn't have time, and it's not your fault, but I'm a long-winded preacher, amen? You remember the sons of Scevia? You remember what they, remember those guys? They, their, their father was a priest, and they, they thought they could get in on the, the gig, right? They thought it was a cool thing that, you know, the apostles are cast on demons. So they're going to get in on it. So they go and, and they say to the demonic spirit in the possessed man, I adjure you by Christ to come out. And what did the demons say? Paul I know, or Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But who are you? Do you think the demon knew them? The demon knew that they, who they were. He knew they were people. But you know what he's saying to them? Who are you? What authority do you have? And you know what happened? That demonically possessed man beat the tar. Can I use that around here, amen? Beat the tar out of that man, and he left the house naked. You know why that demon left? Not because Jim Mayles is the strongest, meanest, toughest guy in the world. That demonic spirit left that night because the Holy Ghost, I am sealed with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, where I go in His will, He is with me, and He protects me. And he can bind any spirit. Never say that person can't get saved. Friend, God can do anything. But we need to get our focus back on his authority, back on his authenticity. And we need to get our focus back on his power, his provision, amen. And when we do that, no matter what happens, God forbid, if our country becomes a communist country, you say it'll never happen. Every other empire has fallen. But you know what? In every fall in this book of every empire, God's children made it through. Why? Because their focus was on him. Pastor, you come. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and stand with me. And I'm just going to have a word of prayer, and I'll turn things over to Pastor. But, boy, I'm telling you, these last days, we better get our focus back on him. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your power for your presence in this place. That doesn't come because of me, Lord. I know that. This pastor and these people love you, Lord. They have, a, they have, they have come to the, with the right spirit tonight. Lord, I preach in churches that believe right. They have all the right doctrine. But Lord, it's almost like preaching to a wall. And so, Lord, I thank you for liberty tonight. I thank you for this dear preacher. But we're not, we're not here, Lord, to give accolades to one another. We're here for you. So I ask you tonight, Lord, that you would continue to move and that people, Lord, would make decisions of eternal value. Thank you again for this great opportunity and have your will and way. In Jesus' name, amen. Preacher.